0: What's up, Tome Fries? You're listening to The New Bookish Podcast, where every episode, I have a cool co-host, one of my Tome Fries, and we take a book and we really pull it apart, looking at the history, maybe a little bit about the author, and then we pick a topic from the book, maybe one that you didn't really expect, and we learn more about it, because here at Tome Fries, we believe that books are a gateway to learn more. For our very first episode, we will be featuring Mary Shelley's classic, Frankenstein. So welcome to Tone Fries. This is our very first episode. And it's gonna be an awesome episode because we are going to be talking about Frankenstein. So most of us know about the movie versions But if you've actually read the book, you know it's very, very different. So with me today, I do have my very first co-host. Hopefully one that will join us quite frequently. Um, So say hi, Brandy.
1: Hi, I'm Brandy. I love this book. And I also have the pleasure of teaching this book to eighth graders. So I go through Frankenstein quite frequently every year.
0: That's awesome. And By the way, happy Teacher Appreciation Week. Thank you. <laughs> did you get anything cool?
1: Um, I did not, but none of my students swore at me or threw anything at me this week, so I'm taking that as their appreciation. <laughs> That's a pretty big win. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah.
0: Sadly, yeah. So, all right, so and I've, I've already told you this, but... I actually never read Frankenstein until just last week. Uh, I only ever see... I haven't even seen, like, the real movies. Like, I'm... Basically, my whole judgment was based off of A Young Frankenstein, um, because I love Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder. And so I was pretty shocked at how different it is. Um, My my experience
1: is very similar. Young Frankenstein was the first version that I saw of this. I honestly did not read Frankenstein until I was in college. And I was 100% expecting a big green monster um, with bolts in his head who was afraid of fire.
0: Like, that's what I was expecting, too. Like, and even, like, certain parts would come up, like, oh, here it is. Here's where it's going to happen. Like, he's going to freak out. And I'm like, no, okay, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) Um, So, we won't spoil the book or anything since... People might want to read it, even though if you haven't read it by now, you had a couple hundred years. But I wanted to actually instead talk about kind of Mary Shelley because you know a lot of really cool, weird stuff about her.
1: Yeah, she is this super interesting author. And actually, there's a movie that just came out um, within the past year about her life which I have seen part of. It stars Elle Fanning, and it's fairly realistic to the actual history. Um, Hmm. But Mary Shelley is like the mother of science fiction, uh, because when she first started writing this, this genre had never been touched. Um, She's one of the first authors to blend science into this sort of like gothic period piece that she was creating. And um, she's got this really interesting family background as well, with her mother being Mary Wollstonecraft, who was one of the leading feminists in um, England, um, who was fighting for women's liberation, who was fighting for uh, women's suffrage. So Mary Shelley didn't even, didn't grow up with this normal childhood. Like she grew up being taught to be this strong woman, which makes complete sense then why she would be, come
0: out as this strong writer. Yeah, which is awesome, because I I love sci fi. I love everything sci fi. Um, Especially the doctor. So (laughs) (laughs) which I, I guess that kind of brings me to the question, then, like, it's kind of shocking that she grew up with that and then didn't have really any female. I mean, there were some female characters in it, but not like what you would generally expect
1: yeah, her, the female characters are surprisingly disappointing. Yeah. Um, I mean, Justine is in there for about, what, 10 minutes before she sure. dies. Yeah. Um,
0: Spoiler Elizabeth, alert. <laughs>
1: everyone <laughs> dies, it's, it's alright. It <laughs> yeah, um, Elizabeth is mostly a character in letters. We very yeah. rarely actually get to see her on the page. Um, but it's interesting, I remember reading about like the secret feminist undertones of Frankenstein when I was in college, and they talked about how, no, there aren't very good, strong female characters, but we see what a poor job the men do in the book, and maybe that's really what the feminist undertone is, is that men trying to be women and create life is a terrible <laughs> idea and leave it to the ladies
0: that that's definitely an interesting take on it I never even thought about that um but yeah okay I can see that although I guess that's not like necessarily my version of feminism but at the same <laughs> no, time not really like, mine
1: either but
0: we'll give her some yeah, credit since we'll it is go. the 19th century it is they're like finally in that you know what screw you guys we want some of this too so
1: And I also, I mean, I want to give her credit just for being a female author in the 19th century who published under her
0: own name, which is huge.
1: Um, Especially because there was so much push for her to publish under her husband's name. Um, And her husband really tried to take credit for the book. Um, (laughs) And uh, there's also a lot of speculation that much of Percy Shelley's supposed, um, like this magnificent poetry that he wrote How much of it did he actually write and how much of it was his wife? Um, So, yeah, props to her for standing by that. No, this book is my baby and I'm putting my real name on it. Let people know I'm a woman.
0: Yeah. And and it's funny, too, because like you don't really I mean, people know Mary Shelley when you say Frankenstein. But when you think of Frankenstein, like usually it's not a female who pops into your head. It's like the bolts in the neck and... While well, people think of Frankenstein is the monster, exactly. so yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely interesting to hear a little bit about her, but she also has some weird things too.
1: Yes. Right. So fun facts. Whenever I teach this book with my eighth graders, we always talk about um, the background of where the book came from, and I try to paint the picture for them of it is the 19th century. You are stuck in this little chateau in the middle of nowhere. It is snowing, it is storming, it is freezing cold. There's no smartphones, there's no Netflix, there is nothing to do. So what do this group of nerdy writers do? Um, They have a ghost telling competition Mm. and um, there's a lot of famous writers of the Romantic period that are in this little chateau, um, including her husband Percy Shelley, but also Lord Byron is there, and they are all writing um, these stories that, um, yeah, are okay, but Mary Shelley, does; she, just, she refuses to quit. And um, this becomes this long process of her writing Frankenstein, and it honestly started out just as a competition, between her and these other men that they were, that she was vacationing with. Hmm. So, um, like I said, Percy Shelley was her husband and they had this very weird polyamorous, but not necessarily willingly polyamorous relationship. Um, yeah. yeah, Like, I'm not sure how like explicit we're allowed to be, but Percy was kind of a dick. Like (laughs) he was kind of awful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but fun fact about him and like their weird gothic romance is that when Percy Shelley died, because of course they're into this gothic um, idea, they decided they were going to burn him on a funeral pyre. Which I don't know a lot about the 19th century, but I am assuming that s- that still was not normal in the 19th century. I'm pretty sure burial was a pretty commonplace way to rid of bodies. <laughs> Why not? I I, I mean, it's like cremation
0: now, but. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I think funeral pyres pyres really had died out by then. But the really cool thing is uh, cool slash morbid. They burned his entire they burned his body. And as they're going through the ashes, they find his heart, which refused to burn. And it turned out that he actually had some sort of medical condition where his heart had completely calcified within his body. But Mary Shelley, being Mary Shelley, takes the heart and carries it around with her. Um, She keeps it in her desk drawer while she's writing as inspiration. And she just holds on to that heart for the rest of her life. And the heart stays perfectly calcified. And then when she is buried, she's buried with her husband's heart, which, like, that's some, like, Gomez and Morticia-level romance. So even though I don't like Percy Shelley, I can appreciate what they are about.
0: Yeah, that's actually, like, really cool. Whenever you told me that, I was like, yeah, I would do that. (laughs) Like, how would you not? Like, I mean, you see, like, a calcified heart, and you're like, yep, I'm keeping that. That's cool. (laughs) Like, There should maybe be a process of calcifying people's hearts. Like, that maybe should should be an option. Well, now we have our next business venture, you know, on top of everything else that we do. (laughs) Yes. Calcifying people so that they can keep their partner's hearts. I I like it. Yeah, it's kind of sappy but creepy at the same time. I like it. Yeah, it's. I
1: mean, people, like, it's like wearing people's blood around your neck in vials.
0: I mean, if movie stars can do it, why not? Why not? I mean, yeah, that's cool. So, and I think that is, like, a good background on the book, just because it it is hard to kind of think about, like, how are these people writing this? Because they're not even writing it on a computer, like, this is... Back in the day, like if they had to write out all of this um and in a chateau telling ghost stories, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I would hang
1: it out by candlelight, like that's just
0: that it makes my eyes, eyes think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but at the same time, like just like hanging out with Lord Byron telling like ghost stories. I now know like what I want, like if I can travel through time, I want to go there, go to be in that chateau, like yes. for real. <laughs> like have a flashlight and they're like wow okay
1: (laughs) yeah and on it and actually this is completely they can't prove but um also coming from this exact same ghost story uh they believe this is where the dracula myth um originally became what we know is the dracula myth that bram stoker would be like he would be inspired by this years later bram stoker does not admit to that but there's so many similarities between Lord Byron's work and Bram Stoker's work.
0: That's interesting because I always like heard and maybe that's going to be something that we do another time with Dracula, because I always heard it was based on like the real person. I th- it definitely through... is
1: based on like Vlad Tepes. Yeah. But at the same time, all of like the rules for being a vampire, like the sunlight oh. and the crossing water, that all comes from this ghost story contest.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. So like they pretty much set the stage for every amazing sci-fi horror flick. In one that we weekend. now have, yeah. One in one we they sat down and did that, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's could happen like that now instead of binge watching Netflix. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
1: know. my My weekend is definitely not going to be that productive.
0: No, I don't think I've ever had a weekend that productive to just like change everything. So we are going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're actually going to look at, is it possible to make Frankenstein's monster today? like picking something out of the book and learning more about it because i don't think books should just be oh you read it and you put it down and like okay that was good like i want to actually get involved with books and learn from them and get interested in subjects so for frankenstein kind of basing it off of the idea of creating a monster or a person because like they don't even call picture frankenstein never calls his creation a monster just a demon, yes. Whenever it's always
1: the creature or the demon sure. or the fiend, but never a monster.
0: Yeah, um and usually he's only calling him a demon just because he's pissed that. I mean, he kills everybody, but yeah. it's his own fault. Which okay. I, I almost kind of went in that direction. Like after reading it, I was like, oh, this goes so deep into like, do we create our own problems and all of that? But I was like, no, I want to stick to like science we're gonna go with the sci-fi can we build an actual monster (laughs) (laughs) so i did some research and i kind of broke it into a couple pieces where there's big problems so the first one is number one actually building the body um because in the book it states that Victor like gathered materials where from (laughs) like that was like my big first question is like okay where is he getting this stuff from
1: Know, because... And in the
0: movies, it's, like, the grave robbing, but yeah. you don't actually see that in the book.
1: The book never specifies where the pieces come from.
0: They Yeah, they never do. And if you think about, like, grave robbing, that would have to be a pretty fresh grave because decomposure, like, that's going to set you back a good bit. Um, so, especially, like, okay, so you dig up a body, you pick out the pieces you like, um, now you have to stitch it all together by candlelight and you're like looking at like hours and hours and hours of surgery and how do you preserve those parts while you're waiting to do that surgery? So I looked up like what did they actually use back then to like preserve body parts because obviously they didn't have freezers um, like we do now. Like, there was no electricity. So I did find that they actually used turpentine, mercury metal, and mercury salts, which are all super toxic. Um, <laughs> and they
1: well, it actually makes sense then why Victor is so sickly all the time. It's it because does he's, like, adjusting all this poison.
0: <laughs> and they actually said that like whenever like when you would see morticians, you could pick them out of a crowd because they were so pale and so gaunt because they were all like slowly dying
1: from <laughs> preserving
0: bodies.
1: Like um, awesome. gaunt
0: goth aesthetic right there (laughs) it it is yeah like i mean just become a mortician that's all you gotta do just breathe in that stuff especially because he's in an attic too like a small room with like no ventilation like that would make you really sick gross (laughs) but the but the problem with all three of those two is it actually does damage to the tissue so if he even did manage to preserve all the parts and put them back together, there would be like tissue nerve damage mm-hmm. going on. So there was also alcohol, which um, obviously you can't just put a body part in any kind of alcohol, apparently, which I actually didn't know this. It has to be a certain concentration, and it's about the same concentration as whiskey. So, fun fact if you can preserve a body part, use the whiskey. So. I love- that in mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just in case, you know, you know keep it that keep that heart until you can calcify it, put it in some whiskey, <laughs> um, which is much safer. But at the same time, you're still looking at some deterioration when it comes to that, that body So You have to do this stuff very quickly. Um, the other part that becomes a problem when you're then piecing this person back together is for anyone who's actually had a transplant surgery – you run the risk of rejection. So basically your your body, if you like get a new organ or something from somebody else, it sees the antigens as hostile. So it'll try to attack it and you can get infections and, and die pretty much. So that's from just one person's like body part that you're getting like a liver or kidney. Imagine now like 30 or 40 different donors like he would have had to suppress his immunity to the point where he would have lived in a bubble. Mm-hmm. So there's that problem too. But I I think I came up with a solution.
1: <laughs> awesome. So we can actually do yeah. this.
0: Yes, <laughs> maybe. I mean, not just, it's not quite yet, but maybe close in the future. Cause now like I was like, okay, so that's a problem with live donors. What about 3d printing? Ooh, yeah. Cause I mean, we're like, I looked at, it, I was like, okay, what, what have we successfully 3 3D printed? Mm-hmm. And just the other day they managed to 3D print a working lung. That's amazing. Oh, so I'm thinking, okay, well in a couple years, like we can, they can already do pieces of liver. They can do kidneys. Like who's to say that in a few years you could just 3D print a person.
1: We're, that's we're, I think we're. that's getting into like some dystopian <laughs> hellscape kind of stuff, but it's <clears throat> it
0: still so very cool. But I mean, even if you had like a person you wanted to bring back, but you didn't have all the pieces, like parts of them were missing, like 3D print those parts. Um, and that might actually save you some time. So, I mean, obviously I am not a surgeon. I don't really know how pieces work, but even still, like I'm thinking that's going to be really tough to get all of the nerve endings correct and I mean I was looking at like how long it takes for some of those surgeries and it's like 36 hours for one surgery. So I think it's going to take a long time to or you're going to need a staff like a team of people working on this monster.
1: Yes which is so interesting because in the book I mean I feel like Victor did not have A whole lot of training in any like anatomical studies he was like all philosophy and
0: alchemy and then magically is able to create this person yeah and like they did say like he studied muscles and everything which is really cool kind of gross because how are you studying them you know i'm guessing you're cutting people apart and looking at how muscles work but Mm -hmm. yeah like he had no medical background whatsoever like, none. No. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. I feel like that was a little bit far-fetched. Yes. Yeah. So, so, then I looked at the other piece. Be- well, I, actually, I started to look into electricity because I was thinking, like the movies, they waste hole, a huge electrical storm and... Down through the kites. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so, I was a little bit disappointed that that's not in the book, but... At the same time, I think that actually is better because while, yeah, electricity does help with a lot of what goes on in our bodies, including, I mean, we use electricity to restart hearts. um, So that is possible there. But it says that he finds something that's chemical to actually restart his creation. Hmm. And so I was like, okay, okay. That is the other piece. You have an inanimate, like, dead person. Like, how do you restart? Like, you could restart all the organs, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, because if your brain's dead, you're dead. So, how do you restart a brain? And while, okay, it's not possible yet. But what's kind of cool, also kind of scary, it gets super into ethical dilemmas But there's actually a company right here in Pennsylvania, um, right in Philly, called BioQuark. And they're using a whole bunch of research, including stem cells, to see if they can actually cure brain death.
1: Weird, but
0: interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So they started a study. It was announced back in like 2016 that they were going to do the study in India and with people who were technically brain dead, but like still alive, like in comatose and see using, um, not just like stem cells, but they're going to use a little bit of electricity to like do impulsing and other factors. Like, I think there's like four different things that they were trying at the same time to see if they could actually bring back these people. It never went through and I couldn't really find any information on why, um, my guess is that it was ethical problems. So I'm picturing in, like a
1: Men in Black scenario, like somebody
0: came in and shut that down real quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so I see. I did see one article that said they weren't sure what happened, but their guess was that they couldn't actually get any donors. Mm. So back in 2017, they announced that they were going to start back up and i got on a like it's actually like the u.s has a whole database of ongoing research projects um and it actually is listed on there as accepting Mm -hmm. people and it's supposed to start in a couple months so I guess we'll see unless it gets shut down again or they don't get any donors <laughs> again. But again, it's super shady and like kind of the ethics kind of bother me a little bit because, and that was a big piece that people were talking about with it is, are we really going to give the relatives of these people false hope? And if they do come back, what kind of life are they going to live if it doesn't bring them back completely or we don't get the results that they want? Um, are we going to put people through unnecessary pain, all of that. But if they can cure that, that could actually be, because that's the biggest factor in death is once your brain dead, you're dead more so than your heart or anything else. So can we actually I think that's
1: so interesting because it's that ethical dilemma that has not changed since this book. Yeah. Um, Like looking at Mary Shelley, A lot of her inspiration was that her child died at only a few hours old. And shortly after losing her child, she's listening to her husband and his friends talking about this amazing um, demonstration that they saw at the local college where they were using electricity to reanimate frog legs. And of course, we know that that's not actually life, that that's just the legs moving, but she got this idea in her head that she could not get out that haunted her nightmares of what if something like that could have been done to bring back my baby and then frankenstein happens a month later
0: that's crazy but and that is like that is very much okay so if even if we could bring back people what kind of problems could that create um and the scary thing is we actually are kind of like we're just now really learning how the brain works. Um, I mean, we're just now learning so much about ourselves that we never knew before, like epigenetics. And um, like even in the field that I work in, like only a couple years ago we started learning about traumatic brain injury and how different parts of the brain can get affected and how even going through a traumatic traumatic experience shuts down certain parts of your brain and activates mm-hmm. other parts. So I feel like we're advancing very quickly to actually understand how the brain works, that it is possible to bring it back. Um, and even like last month, a report came out about a study that was done at, by Yale sci- scientists last year, like last March. Um, and they actually managed to keep decapitated pig brains alive for 36 hours. Wow. Wow yeah, which to me, and again that even that came up like with ethics I was like, okay, were those pigs did they know that? like did like were they feeling pain because their brain was still functioning or was it kind of like the frog legs where we saw where they saw like activity, but was it really conscious activity? Mm-hmm. So that was definitely something that I found super interesting with it. So basically like what I came up with so far is right now, no, Frankenstein's monster is totally not possible. (laughs) But it could possibly be possible in the future. Um I'm not sure how it would work, especially because I mean we don't understand our own consciousness. Like that's one of the miracles of our brain. Mm -hmm. So is it possible to even maybe even the future like 3D print a brain? and give it life and would it actually create a consciousness? Mm -hmm. Like that
1: idea of where where is the soul located? How do you create that?
0: Yeah, like and even going past so I mean we well it's part of sci-fi all the time already about even like artificial intelligence gaining consciousness. So would that kind of be the same idea
1: with creating that? And then coming back to the fact that we have an entire book telling us what a bad idea this is.
0: (laughs) Yes. Which. It doesn't turn out well. It it doesn't turn out well. But part of me is like, okay, well, she kind of blamed it all on Victor, though. Like, I feel like it could have gone way better if he just wasn't a tool about it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, I'm going to make this, like, really cool eight-foot person. And then I'm gonna be disgusted by it and make it like kill everybody. <laughs> like I'm gonna be
1: shocked when my shoddy workmanship is not attractive.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't uh, I
1: never I never understood what he was expecting. Like you knew what it looked like the whole time. Why are you
0: surprised that it is not handsome? I know. Like you you built it, dude. Like what? You couldn't make a normal size person either. So <laughs> And, like, even, because I know in the movies they always have, like, he's green skin, but in the book it says he has yellow skin. Mm-hmm. Which even there, I'm like, all right, he's jaundiced, man. You did something really wrong.
1: <laughs> like, yes, because they talk about the eyes. The eyes are also yes. yellow. Like, get that guy some Billy Reuben. Get him out in the sunshine.
0: Exactly. Like, I mean, I used to be jaundice when I was little. Like, they had to put me somewhere. Like, I had major problems. <laughs> like, this guy does, too. Like, you put in an extra spleen or something. I don't know. But... So, yeah, it's definitely, I definitely loved this book. Like, I think I was never huge into the movies. Like, I, I loved Young Frankenstein, but that was because it was funny. Mm hmm. Where, it, and like, I've even liked some of the like adaptations of it. Like, the one, there's like a really weird horror movie called May that was made in like the 90s where she just wants to have a friend so she starts killing people and putting them together Mm. yeah so it kind of like took it in a twist and i was but i was never really into like the idea of like the whole monster that kind of piece but i loved the book more just because of those layers
1: i know when i teach this with my students I always start by, tell me what you know about Frankenstein, and they all pull out the monster stuff. And I we spend an entire class period drilling into their head, Frankenstein is the doctor, not the monster. <laughs> it's not green. There's not no bolts. He doesn't walk with his arms in front of him. This is not something like from the monsters. And then the kids are all like super disappointed of, oh, this is just a book about some angsty white guy complaining about how hard his life is. And it really takes them, it's about halfway through that they're like, oh, this is deep. Like, this is really good. And then they almost invariably come away thinking, like, why hasn't there been a good adaptation of this made that is actually, like, really true to it? And is not, and that is not rapey. Because there are good versions. Like, I love the Robert De Niro version, but it's so rapey. That I can't show it to 8th graders. And I'm not sure why that gets in there. But
0: That's disappointing. Because there was nothing like
1: that in the whole book. Yeah. I feel like when you have Helena Bonham Carter. like You have to give her something to do. So they added a lot of weird subplots. With Elizabeth. But that's probably the closest adaptation. And it still doesn't even get close. To the heart of the book.
0: Which is sad. Because it's an amazing, amazing book. So maybe that's just something that we need to talk to Hollywood people and say, uh, you actually need to do this right, like the Mary Shelley way. And
1: stop turning out these horrible versions.
0: Like, stop just turning out,
1: like, every five years, turning out another bad version.
0: Yeah, because it's not any good. Like, it's nothing that could be as deep and good as the actual book.
1: Uh, One that I will say that I have seen recently is um, that movie that's called Victor Frankenstein with James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe, which it is in no way true to the plot of the book or really even the characters of the book, but I like that it hits the same themes and the same ethical
0: dilemmas. I do have to watch that one because, I mean, we all have the love for Daniel Radcliffe,
1: Yeah, as a weird circus performer turned scientist so i definitely i recommend it as a fun movie that hits again the same questions of the book but not really the same plot of the book in any
0: way shape or form yeah so come on hollywood make Make the actual frankenstein movie that we can all sit there and enjoy and clap and say yes but still you can't make a person yet
1: and most importantly, make that movie rated PG so that I can show it to my students. Because yes, perfect. This, this I need a movie day. So yes. Hollywood,
0: get me a movie day. Perfect. I hope they do it. Maybe they'll listen to this and be like, Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Brandy, for being on our very first episode. It was really fun having you.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. This was very fun. I love talking about books.
0: Great. And so, well, hopefully, I can have you back to do more books and as a regular co host, and we can have more fun chit chats.
1: I definitely look forward to it.
0: You've been listening to Tone Fries. I am your host, Brittany, book nerd extraordinaire. And if you like this podcast, make sure that you subscribe to get updates on all future episodes, as well as visit tomefries.com for more content, including reviews on all kinds of sci-fi fiction non-fiction tons of different books so stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be looking more at some really cool books